So we're going to get into um, we're going to get into this development of the relationship between Ruth, who is a picture of us, and Boaz, who is a picture of Jesus Christ. Exactly. So uh, we continue our journey through the book of Ruth. This is the fifth message in the series, and it is the first message on the uh, third chapter of Ruth, and there'll be one more message next week on the third chapter, and then we'll conclude with a couple of messages on the fourth chapter of the book of Ruth. If you are um, using uh, social media today and you're going to make a comment about the service, please use the hashtag Radical Love. If you would like a copy of the sermon notes that I'm preaching from today, all you have to do is send a email to uh, the email address there on the screen, and we'll be happy to send you the sermon notes that I'm actually looking at right here. The scene we have today is, again, the development of an intimate, close relationship between Ruth and Boaz. What was done? What took place? What did Naomi advise Ruth to do to get closer to Boaz? Because it's, um, you know, Ruth is us and Boaz is Jesus. So what Ruth does to get close to Boaz is what God would want us to do to get close to Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five things in this message today and next week. And we're only going to cover one today. So let me begin by saying in closing. So I'm just going to give you one today, all right? And the reason I'm going to give you just one today is because it is so important. This quality that I'm going to talk about today, this thing that you have to do to get closer to Jesus is so important in this culture we live in. The things that are going on in the news right now, the things that are going on in the world around you, the things that are going on in your own community, your own neighborhood, in the local media, and the state media, and the regional media, the national media, all the things you're seeing, this message relates directly to those things. Can I just say to you that God hasn't changed? God has not changed. Man has changed. Man views things differently. How many of y'all remember... I mean, I'm uh, coming up on 59 in October. How many of y'all remember a day when whether a person went to church or not, or whether a person was even a Christian or not, everybody kind of knew what right and wrong was. Everybody kind of knew, well, that, that's not right. Even, even if you didn't go to church, even if you didn't read the Bible, even if you weren't into the whole God, Bible, Jesus, church thing, you knew kind of, that's not right. That's not right. Well, we are, we are far beyond those days, aren't we? And here's what saddens me the most is the thinking out there that has changed has crept into the church. And I'm about to preach on it up in here today. And I don't want you to leave me up here by myself. Because if you leave me up here by myself, I'll come down there where you are. All right. All right. So let's get into the word of God today. Ruth pictures the church, Boaz picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody was asking me a very good question, a, a person who's kind of new to the Bible and new to, to uh, the things of God. They said, so, so what you're saying is that Ruth and Boaz and this whole story is kind of a fictional story that didn't really happen, and it's kind of like um, Lord of the Rings, and there are pictures in this story. I said, oh, no, 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 no. This actually happened. This is a historical event the people in it are pictures of various things. We've talked about that. 
But this is true. This is a true story. Now, let me just go ahead and settle something here. I don't know what kind of church you're looking for or what kind of church you want to be in, but we believe the Bible in this church. We believe the Word of God. Amen. And we believe that the stories even that Jesus shared in the parables were stories that happened, things that happened. Jesus was God. He knew these things, and they were stories that happened. A lot of people say, you mean to tell me that you believe a big fish swallowed Jonah, and he stayed in the belly of the whale or the belly of the big fish for, for three days and three nights? And what do I always answer that with? We believe it if the Bible said Jonah swallowed a whale. We'd believe that, wouldn't we? I mean, we believe the Word of God in this church. We believe the Word of God. We believe the last book of the Bible, the book of Concordance. We believe that book. (laughs) We believe on the outside where it says genuine leather. We believe that. Y'all with me? We're Bible people, aren't we? Now, we're not legalists. We're not going to take the Bible and make up rules that aren't in the Bible so we can control everybody in the church. Did I just say that out loud? Y'all know churches like that? And we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them because they, they use the Bible as a ball and chain. Look, the Bible isn't a ball and chain. The Bible's come to set you free. It's like a train. It's like a train. I haven't started preaching yet, so don't count any of this against me. It's like a train on a railroad track. What if a train had a mind of its own? And what if the train said, well, I don't want to stay on these tracks. I want to be free. I want to be free to go wherever I want to. I don't want to just go where these tracks go. And so the train decides, I'm not going to live on these tracks anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. So the train jumps the tracks. Can I ask you a question? Is that train free now? That train's not going anywhere. That train is free as long as it stays on the tracks. The Word of God is the tracks. And as long as we stay on the tracks, we are free We are free. We are free. The Word of God, please get this. I'm telling you, the world has lied to you. The world has lied to you. And i got to tell you, churches are guilty of this, and they've created this environment. They've created this kind of thinking. But the Word of God did not come to bind you. The Word of God did not come to deprive you of joy and happiness and fulfillment. The Word of God is not a set of rules to keep you under the thumb of God until he comes back. The Word of God is a word of life that if you will live by it, you will be free. I have never been freer than when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and trusted the Bible. Okay, now now I'm starting to preach right now, okay? So now hit your timer. So Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek security? In the King James there, it says rest. And you know, when we have security in Christ, that is restful for us. Let me ask you something. When you feel secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ, isn't that less stressful? When I'm out of fellowship with Jesus, and I get out of fellowship with Jesus sometimes, and when I begin to drift away from Jesus, my stress level doesn't go down. My stress level goes up. She says, so when you feel secure, she said, you're going to be at rest. She says, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi's trying to hook Ruth and Boaz up. Look at verse 2. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, 
Is he not our relative? So he's talk, she's talking to Ruth here. Now Boaz, who is, whose uh, young women you were with, is he not our relative? He's our relative. He's related to us. In fact, he is, I love this, she's going to tell him exactly where Boaz is so she can go and see Boaz. She says, in fact, he is winnowing barley, and that word winnowing there means separating the uh, barley from its husk. He, he, would, he would take a pitchfork and stick it down in the barley and throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow the husk away. There's a sermon in that too, and I'm sure you're sitting out there going, oh, he's going to preach another sermon so, in fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Just thought I'd mention that to you, Ruth. I know where he's going to be tonight. Here it comes, verse 3. She says, so I, I want to give you some advice. Listen to this. I want to give you some advice on how to get close to him, on how to get nearer to him. So this advice she's going to give Ruth is advice to us this morning on how to get closer to Jesus. Can we take a vote? We're going to take a vote this morning so you guys will really feel like you're in church. <laughs> How many of y'all remember those days when you vote? We need a ream of paper for the copier. I need a motion. You know? So I want to ask you, let's vote on this. How many of you want to be closer to Jesus? Okay, cool. Then I want you to listen to this message over the next two Sundays. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the uh, uh, threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Verse 4. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in and uncover his feet and freak him out. <laughs> no, no. That's the Pharaoh Hardison version. Let me go back to the... You shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Ladies and gentlemen, those four verses are packed with Bible truth that is going to make you a better Christian. Let's get into it today and next week. The message today, again, is about five practical steps that will draw you near to the Lord Jesus. Can I say to you this morning that Christianity is not a code, it is not a cause, it is not a creed, it is not your conduct, that Christianity is not going to a certain church. Christianity is Christ. It is Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. The most distinguishing mark of a Christian, the most distinguishing mark of a genuine Christian, the most distinguishing mark of a real, genuine Bible Christian is a passionate love for Jesus Christ. Not a passionate love for the bridge, not a passionate love for the pastor of the bridge. Not even a passionate love for the Bible, as important as the Bible is, which is what we'll be talking about today, but a love for the author of the Bible, a love for Jesus Christ. If you are a genuine Christian, you love Jesus. And if you are a genuine Christian, you want more of Jesus. You want to know him more intimately. One writer said the true Christian wants more than redemption. They want more than just a savior to save them from their sins. They want a relationship. They want to walk with Jesus. They want Jesus to be real. The true Christian wants more than gifts. And we hear so much about spiritual gifts and the gifts of the Spirit, and that's all wonderful and good, and we teach that here, and we want you to find out what your spiritual gift is and use it to build the kingdom. 
But the genuine Christian wants more than the gifts. The genuine genuine Christian wants the giver of the gifts. I love what Paul said in Philippians 3.10, and I'm just going to pull about uh, five words out of there, six words. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, My goal is to know him. My goal is not to know about him. Wonderful. Study the Bible. Study the Word of God. Get in Bible studies. Join a small group. Go to Navigator's class. Mike Moss teaches Navigators. Go to that class. Dig in the Word. Dig in the Word. Dig in the Word. But take my advice. You can be in Bible college and backslide on God. You can be a Bible school studying the Bible and go away from God because it's not about the knowledge about God. It's not about just knowing a lot about the Bible. It is knowing the author of the Bible, a personal relationship. Paul already knew Jesus intellectually. Paul already knew Jesus spiritually. He had a personal relationship with Jesus. But he said, my goal is to know him. Not just about him, but I want my relationship with him to be deeper. So then I ask, is this my goal? It was Paul's goal. How many of you believe Paul's a pretty good example for us? Is this my goal? Hey, is it your goal to know him? The point of this message is this, that every true disciple of Jesus wants to know him more. I want you to evaluate yourself right now. I want you to ask yourself, do I have a hunger to know Jesus more intimately or did I kind of get saved and give my life to Jesus and I've got my little ticket to heaven and I'm just good now or do I really want to know him so that I might be more like him the spiritually healthy Christian wants Christ again to be real in their life not just some distant figure not just some historical figure but the real believer has a deep desire to have an intimate relationship every day a talking relationship a conversational relationship a loving relationship with Jesus I love this when Jesus comes and I believe he's coming soon I want to meet somebody face to face that day that I've already known heart to heart can I say that again Jesus is coming. You believe Jesus is coming? Who believes Jesus is coming in this church today? Amen? I believe he's coming. And when he comes, I'm going to see him. I'm going to see Jesus. And I want to see somebody face to face that I've already known for years, heart to heart. Know him. Know him. Naomi has been in the Israel now. She's back in Israel. She's back in God's country. You remember her thinking got messed up when she was in Moab? And now she's back in God's country in Israel. And so her thinking's getting straight. I could preach on that for 30 minutes right there. When you go toward Moab, you get confused. When you go toward Israel, God, you get straightened out in your thinking. The Bible says the devil is the author of what? Confusion. And the Bible says that God's the author of understanding. So when she was in Moab, she was confused. Are you confused? <laughs> I'll, try to be, I'll try to explain it better. Uh, You always count on the kids to be real, can't you? (laughs) Yes, I'm confused. Could you start over? (laughs) So if you're at a time in your life when you're confused, it's either because you're listening to one of my sermons or you're in Moab. Christians can go to Moab. 
Elimelech was a man of God. He went to Moab. Christians can move toward Moab. When you move toward Moab, you're going to get confused. When you move back toward God, Israel, you're going to get some clarity in your understanding. Does that make sense? So she's uh, in this message giving Ruth some awesome advice because now she's got her head on straight and she's got her uh, thoughts right because she's with God and she's telling Ruth how to draw nearer to Boaz. So what are the steps? Number one, step number one, you got to be clean before him. That's all we're going to talk about today. Now, I know you're going to get really, really excited because we're going to talk about sin in the house today. You got to be, you want to be closer to Jesus? You got to be clean before him. You got to be clean. Now, now I, I could have covered a couple of points today. And I could have covered the other three, or I could have covered three points today, and then next week covered two points. I'm telling you, this one right here is so important that we're going to focus on this one today, and we're going to focus on the other four next week. If you don't get this one right right here, it doesn't matter about the other four. Let me, can I just say something? It's time for Christians to get cleaned up. And it's time for churches to get cleaned up. And it's time for us to wake up and stop drifting toward the thoughts and philosophies of the culture we live in. You say, but they don't like us and they'll talk about us and they'll call us names. Well, good, that means we're, we're more like Jesus because that's exactly what they did to him. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being a mean Christian because that's how they want to depict us. That if you believe the Bible and you follow Jesus and you're saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit, that you're a mean person, that you're a judgmental person. Matter of fact, that's the first thing they say when they want you to accept a lifestyle that is ungodly and you say, well, I can't do that because, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe the Bible and this is what the Bible says. Then all of a sudden you are a mean person. You are a judgmental person and you are an evil person. And that's how we're depicted. But look, we shouldn't be surprised by that because that is how it's been all through history. This is nothing new to, to mankind, nothing new to us. So look what he says. She says, Ruth, she said, you are about to connect with Boaz because I'm going to tell you where he is and you're going to go there tonight and you're going to connect with him. And the first thing you need to do, number one, number one is you need to wash yourself. Now, fortunately, today we're going to be able to put all the scriptures on the screen, and there are a lot of them, and I hope you'll write them down. I hope you'll write in for these sermon notes. And I hope if you hear me say something you don't agree with or, or you know, you've been just listening to that culture out there so long that when I preach on it, it kind of stings. It kind of rubs you the wrong way. It kind of makes you go, I don't know about that. I hope you'll order these sermon notes, and I hope you'll read these scriptures. And I hope you'll come back and say, Pastor Help me understand what this means. Look what it says in James 4 and 8. It says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Now, we used this scripture not too long ago. What does the King James say? Draw near to God and God will what? Remember what we talked about? That it's a 100% it's a return on your investment. If you take one step toward God, God will take one step toward you. That is a 100% return on your investment. So God says, I'm in this with you. I'm not going to make you come to me, but if you will come to me, then I will come to you. You make a move, and I'll make a move. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. 
Look at the first thing he says. If you want to come close to me, if you want to get near to me, look at the first word. Say it. Wash your hands, you sinners. Next word. Purify your hearts. And here's why. He says why. That word for right there means because. Because your loyalty is divided between God and the He wrote this 2,000 years ago. Does anything relate better to our day than that sentence right there? That relates to our day. Listen, we want a church with power, don't we? We want to be a church of power. We want a church that experiences the power of God, that, that is in contact with the power of God, that is empowered by God. We want a church that when you come into the sanctuary and you uh, begin to greet people and worship, you feel his presence. You can't explain it, but there's just a sense. I felt it today. There's just a sense God's here. God's here. God's here. Listen, let me tell you something. You can't have the power or presence of God until you wash you can't have, you know, we talk about Pentecostal power over in Acts chapter 2, and we say, oh, man, if we could just have that power. You can't have Pentecostal power until you have purity. You want the power of God in your life? Wash yourself. Cleanse yourself. James clearly is saying you want to be intimate with Jesus Christ? You've got to evaluate yourself. Listen, you've got to constantly be asking yourself, can I just go ahead and tell you, your pastor does this all the time. Matter of fact, in my prayer journal, I've got some things right at the very top that I read every time. And one of them is, Farrell, is there anything in you that's not like God? And I am sad to report to you that sometimes there is. There are thoughts and attitudes and things that creep into my life that are not like God. And I have to deal with that. I have to repent of that. I have to get right with God. And so, so it's important that you understand that constant evaluation is so important. Because, listen, temptation is subtle. Sin is subtle. And you live in a culture that accepts everything in the world. So when you get involved in it, there's no real... There's no real um, atmosphere out there that challenges you on that. As a matter of fact, when you, when you go against God out there, in the, they're applauding you. But the Holy Spirit is like, a, um, is like a referee in a basketball game. As long as you play within the boundaries of the court, then you're good to go. But if you step outside the line, the referee blows a whistle. And the Holy Spirit is like that referee. The Holy Spirit blows the whistle on you when you step out of bounds. Here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray this in your heart right now. Holy Spirit, when I step out of bounds, blow the whistle. And you might say, I don't want to hear the whistle. Yes, you do want to hear the whistle. Because if you step out of bounds and there's no whistle, that means there's no Holy Spirit there to call you out and say, hey, that's out of bounds right there. That's out of bounds. Does that make sense? We want the Holy Spirit in our life to blow the whistle when we step out of bounds in how we treat our wife, how we treat our husband, how we treat our family, how we function at work, how we live our lives, how we are on vacation. Um, how, you know, anybody can behave when, when they know God and God's people are looking. How do we behave when we don't think anybody's looking? That shows the real you. And so we need that whistle. We need that alarm. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to go there and preach, but I could. Uh, the book of Nehemiah, when he was rebuilding the wall, they sent false, um, 
uh, reporters to him who said, Nehemiah, come down off the wall and, and go into the Holy of Holies and hide. They're going to kill you for rebuilding the wall. So go into the Holy of Holies and hide and see what they were doing. They were trying to get Nehemiah to go to a place. He was a layman. He wasn't a priest. They were trying to get him to go into a place that if he went into it, not only would they be against him, but then God would be against him. And that's where the, that's where the enemy comes. That's where the devil comes with those temptations in your life. He wants to get you out of fellowship with God. Listen to me. The main thing the devil wants is to get you out of fellowship with God. I mean, we know he's against us. Here's what he's after. He wants God to be against you too. And he wants you to be against God. That's what temptation's all about. It's what sin's all about. Look at 2 Corinthians 7. Look at the first part of that verse. Paul says, let us, everybody say the yellow words with me, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is, notice perfecting holiness. Holiness is never perfected in us. It's always perfecting. You're always in a process of, of being holier. And, and when I say being holy, don't, don't get this picture of pompous, arrogant pride. Matter of fact, i got to tell you something. Pompous, arrogant pride like the Pharisees had was not holy. It was sinful. I'm talking about a holiness that makes you know, you know, I, I'm talking to God. I'm having fellowship with God. When I step out of bounds, God's blowing the whistle. And, and, you know, things I used to be tempted with, I'm not tempted with anymore. So I know I'm growing. I know I'm developing. I know I'm being perfected. As a matter of fact, I want to talk to you about a word that we rarely hear mentioned anymore. We rarely hear it preached anymore. And is the word sanctification. I want you to say the word with me sanctification. And I want you to begin to pray for that. I want you to begin to ask God for that in your life. Some of you are new to the bridge or some of you are kind of new to church. You're not even sure. You're like, what in the world is that? Well, it's a purification. Listen, sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit that deals with your very nature to sin. Can I just remind you guys, we're not bent toward doing good. We're bent toward doing evil. Now, some of y'all got little halos over your head this morning, but I know you. Our first reaction a lot of times isn't to do the right thing. Our first reaction a lot of times is to do the wrong thing. You know, you guys have been worshiping up in here today. Some of you will come to the altar. And before you leave, you'll be tempted to tell somebody they're number one out there in the parking lot. That's our nature. That's our nature. And listen, can I say something to you? You can't win the war against your nature without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life giving you strength to win the war over temptation. I don't know what you're tempted to do. Your temptation might be different than my temptation. You know, the Supreme Court has ruled on some things lately that I don't agree with and I'm sure you don't agree with. I heard Pastor Andy really laid them out that Sunday he preached here. But I just want to tell you something, man. Um, your temptation could be in that area. You could be here today and your temptation could be in the area of struggling with uh, uh, same-sex attraction. Well, that's your deal. That's your deal. But it's not right. It's not a right lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle that God accepts. And I know how that makes some of you feel because the culture says we got to embrace all this. Listen, I can't embrace it because the Bible won't let me embrace it. The words of God won't let me embrace it. Now, what am I supposed to do in my reaction to that person? Love them. 
and understand that their temptation is, is in that area where my temptation might be in greed or my temptation, the, my area of weakness, my area where there's a stronghold in my life. Bible talks about strongholds. It might not be in that area, but it might be with pornography. It might be with uh, being attracted to women who aren't my wife and, and reaching out to them and making subtle comments to them. Can I tell you something? Sin is sin. And we have categorized it, and we've made some worse than others. Here's what I know. When I step out of bounds, I am thankful that I have a relationship with God that when I step out of bounds, the Holy Spirit blows the whistle on me. And you want that in your life. You want that in your life. Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves, perfecting holiness. So let me just leave this with you. I've got to move on quickly. You have got to start praying for sanctification. You have got to start praying for that work of the Holy Spirit in you that makes you stronger against your nature that you inherited from Adam and your nature is to do wrong. Listen, you can't win that battle without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't win it. You say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with a counselor, and I'm going to read books, and I'm going to go to meetings, and all that's good. I'm not against those things. But if you negate the seeking of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to beat that temptation, you're going to lose that battle. You're going to lose it. You need the power of God in you. You need the presence of God in you. You need the uh, energy and the strength that the Holy Spirit gives you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next week when, um, when Naomi then says, don't only wash yourself, but anoint yourself with perfume. So ladies, we're getting into the Chanel number five next week. Is that still a perfume? Anyway. Um, so she says, you've got to anoint yourself. And that's a picture of the Holy Spirit coming on us as we come into the presence of our Boaz, Jesus. You've got to have the Holy Spirit, that anointing, that empowerment, that covering. And we'll talk about that next week. So do you want God to hear your prayers? Who wants God to hear their prayers and answer them? Except for that time when you prayed for that girlfriend, you know, that you saw at the grocery store and you were like, thank God that one didn't get answered. Because <laughs> when you saw her, you were like, huh? You know. Okay. So, man, she used to be pretty. Look at... Um, <clears throat> Look at Isaiah 1, 15 through 16. <clears throat> when you lift up your hands in prayer, God says, I will not look. You lift up your hands in prayer, God goes, I'm going to just turn my head. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. God isn't playing, is he? For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. And we could go into what all that means, but the point is you have sin that you won't repent of. You won't own it. You won't turn away from it. You won't admit it and turn away from it. So I can't hear your prayers. I can't even look at you. Verse 16, here it comes again. There's that word. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Let me ask you guys something. Is there anything confusing about those two verses right there? People go, I just read the Bible, I just don't understand. Well, if you don't understand that right there, we, we really need to get you some help because that is crystal clear. God goes, 
You think you can have unrepented of sin, undealt with sin in your life as one of my children. You think you can have hatred and unforgiveness. You know, we love it when pastor preaches on adultery and homosexuality and all that stuff because you're not battling with that. But let's come over here and talk about some gossip. Y'all with me? Let's come over here and talk about some hatred, people you won't even speak to because you can't forgive. Can I tell you something? You might as well be involved in adultery and homosexuality as to be involved in gossip and hatred and unforgiveness. Sin is sin. But we love to talk about stuff that we're not tempted with. We love to bust on people we're not temp- uh, when they're tempted and stuff we're not tempted with. That's like a Pharisee, man. That's like a Pharisee. You know what the Pharisees did? Hung Jesus on a cross. They killed him. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want to see all sin the same. I want to see my sin. I might look at a brother or sister over here who's got a sin before I judge them and crawl all over them and talk about them. I need to look at my own life. Now, I might need to go to them and try to love on them and help them, but I don't judge them. I don't judge them in the sense of just ripping them apart and tearing them down. I go to them for healing. I go to them because I care, because I love them. And they would come to me if they're children of God. But look what he says. I won't answer your prayers. I won't listen. Wash yourself. Get clean. I love it. Wash yourselves and be clean. I love this statement right here. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Okay? Let's go to Isaiah again. We're in chapter 1 there. Let's go to 52. How do you treat temptation? How do you treat temptation? When temptation comes your way, how do you treat it? Run away. Not just run away one time, run away two times. Because here's how we are sometimes. We're like, I can handle this. I'm a little weak in that area. I've got some temptations in that area. That's a little chink in my armor, you know. It's a little weak place in my life. But I can handle that temptation. I can go there and not fall into sin. I can be with those people and not fall into sin. I can hang out here and not fall into sin. You know what the Bible says? If you struggle with something, run away from the temptation. Run away. Get away from there. Do not touch anything unclean. Get away from it. Make yourselves what? Pure. Let me tell you the best way to fight temptation. Fight it with your hat. Grab it and run. I'm telling you. You remember Joseph in the Bible? And I could preach on this too, but I won't. But Joseph was a, a, a young man, very, very attractive young man. Even uh, when you study uh, the scriptures, and this kind of comes into our culture, well-built young man, you know, much, you know, something like this, well, well-built, well-built, tall probably, he's like Boaz, he's got hair, you know. So his brothers sell him into slavery, and God just stays right with him. God just, stay, man, if you haven't studied the life of Joseph in Genesis, you need to study it, it's incredible. And God is with him, and he ends up in the house of Potiphar, the Potiphar's home, and he's a servant there. And the Potiphar's gone all the time, and he leaves his wife with Joseph. And I don't know what she looked like. Um, Might have been really easy to resist her, I don't know. (laughs) But evidently not, because she kept coming on to Joseph and coming on to him. This is in your Bible now. See, y'all think all that stuff didn't happen in the Bible? Sure, man, man's always been the same. And so this woman, she's just coming on to Joseph, coming on to him, hitting on him. 
making it clear what she wants. Boy, she's just coming on strong. Joseph is fighting that temptation, praying to God every day. Finally, one day, she just reaches out and grabs him. And the Bible says he left her cloak in his hands, and he, I love what the King James Version says, he got him out. He ran. He ran. Now, it got him in trouble. He had to go to prison. And she said that he had attacked her and that he had molested her. But all of that was a lie. How many of you know when you try to avoid sin, somebody will tell a lie on you? I just, that, that's an important statement I just made. One of, the ways they, one of the ways that people negate us and one of the ways that people um, uh, um, uh, weaken, try to make us look weak in the, in the sight of the community is they accuse us of things we're not guilty of. They say things about us that we're not guilty of, as they did with Joseph. And Joseph just stood true to God, and God kept him, and God took care of him until he rose to the second highest place in power in the nation of Egypt. You should read this story. I should actually do a sermon series on it. It's really great. But he ran from the temptation. And some of you are trying to live holy, and you're trying to live right, and you're trying to be who God wants you to be. But there's some stuff in your past you've got to let go of. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be um, harsh or I don't mean to, to make you appear to be somebody who doesn't love or, or to be one of those Pharisees I was talking about earlier. But if there are people in your life that pull you away from God, listen to me. You've got to change that relationship. You've got to change it. If you, you say, well, I can't just be, not be with them, I can't, then you've got to make it clear where the boundaries are. You've got to say, hey, I don't do that anymore. I don't go there anymore. Now, I'll be your friend, and I don't want you to think I'm being judgmental of you, but I don't do those things anymore. You've got to get some courage. You've got to look at them and say, I don't agree with that. I love you. I love you. I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to be against you. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, for me, I can't do that anymore. And you might have the kind of relationship where you can turn right around and, I, and say to them, and it's hurting you, and I'm, I'm concerned about you. Now, when you do that, you're going to get talked about. You're going to get ridiculed. But that's what happened to Jesus. So much to preach. If we desire intimacy with Christ, we cannot come before him and ignore our sins. If you want intimacy with Jesus Christ, the first thing you do when you come into his presence is you say, God, if there is something in me, maybe I've refused to see it. Maybe I see it and won't admit it. I want you to bring it right up in my face. You know, when David sinned with Bathsheba, and then he, um, before he got right with God, before Nathan came, the prophet, and said, you're the, you're the man, um, David says in his repentance in Psalm 51, he says, my sin was ever before me. My sin was ever before me. Every time uh, he looked out the window, every time he probably opened the scriptures. Every time he did whatever he did, the sin he had committed with Bathsheba was ever before him. And it did not leave him until he got real with God and repented of that sin. And the way you repent of sin is you own it and you confess it and you say, I did it. And then you do an about face and turn your back on that sin and you take sides with God against your sin. Have you taken sides with God against your sin? You know, this is kind of gross to think about, but 
we're the bride and he's the groom. Can you imagine a bride being unclean on her honeymoon night? Yesterday's bath isn't good enough. I love what the King James Version says. Naomi said to Ruth, she said, Ruth, you must be freshly clean. You can't depend on yesterday's bath or last week's bath. And a lot of us look back at a time when we first came to God. Can I ask you something? How up to date is your relationship with God? How fresh is your relationship with God? Can you only point back and say, yeah, but I remember three years ago, one year ago, six months ago. What about today? What about today? She said, Ruth, you must be freshly clean. Too many of us are attempting to walk intimately with the Lord Jesus Christ while living on yesterday's purity. Up-to-date purity. Where is it? Where are you? Now let's close with this. How are we cleansed spiritually? So, Pastor, I need to be cleansed. How do I do that? Well, it's by obeying the Word of God. Because the Bible, listen to this, watch this now. The Bible reveals sin, and the Bible gives you the solution to sin. The Bible will reveal it, and the Bible will give you the solution. So, let's look at it real quick in closing. Give you guys hope. James 1, 22. Look what it says. I'm going to just stand up here and read it. Do what God's teaching says. Anybody don't understand that? Do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and do nothing, which a lot of Christians do that. They love Bible study. They love sermons. They love to come to church. But a lot of times we're listening to truth, but we're not following through on truth. If you're only listening and doing nothing, you are fooling yourselves. Verse 23, those who hear God's teaching and do nothing are like people who look at themselves in a mirror and forget what they saw. They just walk out and forget what they saw. Verse 24, they see their faces. That's what the Word of God will do. It will reflect you. When you read the Word of God with an open heart and honesty, you'll see yourself. You'll see yourself in there. They see their faces and then go away and quickly forget what they looked like. But the truly happy, the truly happy, and this happy here is not the world's definition of happy. The world's definition of happy comes from the word happens. If something good happens, I'm happy. If something bad happens, I'm not happy. This word happy comes from being right with God. This word happy refers to a, a peace and a contentment that comes from being right with God. But the truly happy people are those who carefully study God's perfect law. And what is that? Word of God, the Bible. That makes people what? Bound. No, makes people, the Word of God makes people what? Free. And they continue to study it. They do not forget what they heard, but they obey what God's teaching says. Those who do this, here's that word again, will be made. So the world is saying to us, you want to be happy, you figure out on your own what you want to do, and whatever makes you happy, you'll be happy. God says, no, that's like a train who goes, I want to get off the tracks. It's not happy. It's in bondage. It's buried in the dirt. It can't do anything. But a person who stays on the tracks, a person who stays in the Word of God and lives their life within the boundaries of God's Word is like that train staying on the tracks. It can go anywhere it wants to. It's free. It's not in bondage. 
See, the minute you go, I don't want to live by the word of God. It's too strict. It's too strenuous. I don't want to live by it. You're like that train that jumped the tracks. You're not free anymore. That's good preaching right there. The world says sinfulness equals happiness. God says sinlessness equals happiness. The world says you want to be happy, then do whatever you want to do. Do whatever feels good. Don't let anybody tell you what's right and wrong. You figure out on your own what's right and wrong. That's what the Bible says in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is one of the darkest books in the whole Bible. It says they did what was right in their own eyes, and it was a dark, dark book. So God says, do what I say, and you will be happy. You will be fulfilled. Look at the next thing. It shows us the solution. He says in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to what? Your word. There it is again, the word of God. Look at 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we live in the light, live in the truth, if we live in the light as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. Then what will cleanse us? What will cleanse us? Then the blood of Jesus, that means the work of Jesus on the cross, God's Son cleanses us from what? How many? Every sin. Now what that really means, that word every in the Greek really means what? Every. Yep. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are hypocrites, Pharisees. If we say we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He, God, will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. I want you to stand. Everybody just stand.